These are the Stanley Cup champions cheering for us. Obi could beat the fuck out of Wayne Gretzky. Could you break Wayne Gretzky's leg? Because he's 24! The smoke blinds from straight 40s before I go out for warmies. We got like half dressed and then last four, and we we're just going nuts. We're in the locker room by then. We we're just going absolutely bananas. What it do, DMV? It is episode 74 of Chirpin' DMV. We're back from the holiday weekend. KP, since you're the only one on so far, what's up with you, man? How was your uh, extended weekend there? It was good, man. Good little weekend. Uh, got to get out on the bay, do some fishing. It was beautiful out. Um, got to see some awesome hockey the past like extended weekend, some awesome Game 7s that I can't wait to dive into. But other than that, that was it for me. Yeah, we got a uh, got a lot of hockey to get to. We'll get to it. We're in the conference finals. We're already there. I feel like it's been cruising by these playoffs. AB is not on yet. Not sure what his deal is. So maybe we'll hear from him soon. Maybe we won't. Mount's pretty good. Went down. Like I said, old Davo got the new boat, baby. So we spent pretty much the entire weekend down there. Out and about Sunday on the water. Got hammered. Slept on it Sunday night. Woke up. Started drinking a little bit Monday. Saturday, fantasy football draft at Marty Parties. He catered in food, all this crazy stuff. Hunter, Griff, all the boys were there. I'll tell you something crazy, too. I think this was like Thursday last week, but I mentioned it on the last episode with Queese, but there's this lady I've been, quote, unquote, hanging out with in Foggy Bottom Ooh. over in D.C. So what I've been doing is I'm right here at the Clarendon Metro, so I hop on the Metro, go to her house, right? And I hung out a little too long the other night, <laughs> and the Metro closes at 11, and I've completely fucking blank i'm getting there and i'm like shit it's like 1102 and i go down there and the lady's like hey the metro's closed and i was like oh crap so i came out i was like, guess i'm ubering tried to call an uber home nothing tried to call a lift home no lifts available because of covid and being that late at night so i was like fuck dude like what do i do text like two of my roommates no answer i'm like shit dude and i'm looking at a line of these lime scooters right here i'm like shit dude am i gonna have to do this so i hop on one of these bad boys go from foggy bottom <laughs> to arlington dude i go across the bridge and everything it's like a 3.8 mile drive on my uh bird account i think uh, when i looked it up and i get <laughs> that rain that day and i make it i go well, across the bridge and shit dude like survive the hardest part come start to come into my neighborhood i'm coming down this hill and i'm like dude i gotta take this hill wide and i gotta take it slow because it's slick and i took it hard and fast and i just completely ate it and just fucked myself up dude like tumbled over the scooter went flying down the hill and shit dude it was brutal fucking chewy <laughs> jesus bud it was wild but that's let's get into some hockey here but before that romar dennis coming on today man pll atlas midi midfielder lacrosse guy prolax player it's kind of a cool interview for you guys because i know a lot of the hockey players around here will go and play lacrosse in the offseason especially a lot of the private school kids and whatnot so it's kind of cool for, to have him on i mean he's a childhood kid we grew up with hung out with him a lot kp we're excited for this one yeah it's gonna be really cool a pro lacrosse player uh, when we were growing up, you really didn't hear many of pro lacrosse players. And now with the new league, there is more. So it's going to be whole, cool to see uh, Romar's journey from the DMV. Yeah, for sure. So that, that's coming up here soon. But let's get into some things here first. So Uncle Todd, as steady as she goes, man, just, just that quick, the turn of a hat. He's got a new job, and he's an assistant coach in Pittsburgh, and he's running their defense and power play. Uh, let's take it back to this because I pulled up a blog a draft of a blog that you had in March but never published, and it was, is Todd Reardon a Penguin spy? And it seems to be matching up right now. Yes, I, I did think that was going on, a little conspiracy with Todd. Dude's a little funny. 
He's been a little weird the past two years. And look, look, the first thing that happens, as soon as he gets fired, he gets rehired like in a snap. The Penguins didn't even have time to think about it. Like they just love this guy and they wanted him back, it seems like. Yeah, so he's running their defense and power play, which were seemingly the two worst parts of the Capitals. So what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, that, that was kind of crazy that they gave him the power play nod, right? I mean, the Penguins don't really have power play struggles. They got some superstars, so don't really know why they're giving Todd the nod on that already. He was their defensive coach. He was a great uh, assistant defensive coach with the Capitals, so I think he'll shine there. It's a good fit and good role for him. So, I mean, I think he's going to help out that – That I guess they're a young Penguins decor. They really don't have too many older guys. They're kind of re- rebuilding there, right? Yeah, so I guess – I mean, what, what, what I'm reading here says, like, right after we let him go, that the Penguins were pretty much just, like, aggressive, and they're all over getting on Todd and getting an interview and getting permission and all that stuff. And he, he – like he, he quote said, I was just drawn to Pittsburgh by their detail, their passion, their excitement for getting back to cup days of a few years ago and having a new voice. So he said he's excited to take what he learned here in Washington and take it to Pittsburgh. And you, you got to think, like, Jim Rutherford sitting down and being like, all right, give me everything you know on Tom Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> so it is what it is. Todd Reardon off to our rival. So speaking of coaches per Elliot Friedman, we have apparently the capitals. We have interviewed already Gerard Gallant and Mike Babcock. So what do you take of that? I like that. I mean, I know, I know you're not a big fan of Babcock, and I know a lot of caps fans aren't a fan of him. but I think we should have brought him in do give him the due diligence, give him the little run through. Maybe he, He's changed in the last couple of years, and he gives a little line or something that gets him the job. But I think it's good. They're gonna, they're they're still gonna interview a couple more coaches. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really high on Gallant, so I'm glad they brought him in. Yeah. So a couple of things like they, they asked how likely it is we'll see Mac Babcock behind the bench in DC. Friedman goes, I think there's other candidates still in the mix. I don't think it's a hundred percent. Put it this way, I wouldn't tell you to bet your next month's sizable mortgage on it. I think he's got a chance. He's in the mix. Peter Lavaliette is very much in the mix. Uh, we have interviewed Gerard Gallant already, so I'm, I'd, I'd be curious to see how both of those interviews went so far. Um, and then on, on being asked if Mike Babcock would, Babcock would be a good fit here in Washington, I mean, it seems like it's a tough kind of – it's it's like he's like he, – he's one of those dickhead coaches, and he's mixing with the veteran leadership group. He's coming from that young – Toronto group and he said I think the Capitals feel that they lost a bit of their edge sometimes that happens when you win a Stanley Cup it's hard to win once never mind twice that can happen I also think that after I reported that Babcock thing over the weekend I did have a couple texts from a player and the one thing that said he said to me was that they just felt that when they got back for the return to play for training camp whatever it is it it just wasn't there so the Caps just didn't have that edge they didn't have that aggression they didn't have that I guess chip on their shoulder and maybe back I can get it out of him, being that hard-nosed dickhead coach. I mean, I guess that's not what Barry Trotz was, but yeah, it's it's some it's a total opposite of what Todd Reardon was, right? Todd yeah. Reardon was the friend, best friend coach, uh, let the, the buddy buddy play. the try to be a yeah. player's coach and not really ignite that fucking fire right up underneath of him. So we'll see. But it looks like uh, Gerard and Babs are in, have been interviewed. I haven't seen any word on us interviewing Laviolette yet, so we'll keep you guys posted on that and. Like I said, well, it's probably a month or so until we hear something we don't know. You never know, but we'll move on to this. So, the Athletics' Michael Russo, he had some things to say about the Caps and their poor performance in the bubble. And it was pretty much, quote, that they had no interest in being there. So, he was a beat writer for the Wild. 
Uh, and he had some things to say. He went on some podcasts. I think it was called Talk North Podcast Network or something like that, the Russo Hockey Show. So he said, well, yeah, I mean, the stories from inside the bubble about the Caps basically turning it into a vacation, having pool parties and things like that, you pretty much knew they had no interest in being so there whatsoever. So what say you to that, KP? Uh, I guess maybe their focus wasn't there, but who knows? It could have been them just trying to – make the best of it inside of the bubble, maybe not pool parties, but trying to live it up and enjoy inside, keeping spirits high inside. I mean, really don't take much from his comments of them. It could have been them just having a good time, you know? You never know. But, I mean, but then again, me saying that comment, I'll back it up. They, they, if they're going to act like that off the ice, maybe that transferred to the ice because they, uh, they played like they were on vacation mode. I don't know. So he's, so he's saying the Caps are out there just kind of fucking partying, jumping in the pool, doing this, that, and the other. But, you know, a, a source close to the Caps, they commented and said it's bullshit. And well, then obviously. Nick Jensen's wife replies to one of these tweets and goes, my husband wanted to win a Stanley Cup and so did all of his teammates. Yeah. So that's why I liked my first comment where I think they were just <laughs> trying to make the best of their all-face right. time, keeping spirits high. Yeah. I mean – obviously that team didn't play well. We knew they weren't playing well. It's, it's, you can't really say it was one thing or the other. You can't say they didn't want to be there. You can't say they were there just to have fun. Trust me, if they wanted to have fun, they would have just not fucking came and actually went on a real vacation and shit like that. So it is what it is with that situation. So last thing here before, ah, last two things here. So so we'll, we'll go over two quick things. We'll get to the Romar interview and then we'll finish it the episode here with our conference finals prediction. So EA sports NHL 21 KP. I know you've been playing the video games lately. Alex Ovechkin, the cover athlete. First of all, what are your thoughts on that? The great eight baby back on the cover. Yeah, that's sweet. Hopefully it's not like a Madden curse or anything like that, but uh, yeah, good for him. Is it like the global thing? Is he going to be the cover here in the U S or how yeah, does that work? It's, it's like, it's the global thing. It's he's all over the place. And I think there's three different versions of it. Like the legacy version, the grade eight version, all this kinds of shit. Right, right. So, but with, cool. but with that, EA Sports launched like a series in conjunction with Sportsnet. It's called From Alex to OV. Episode one dropped last Thursday. It's only like eight or nine minutes, but I think it's going to be uh, – it's a three-part series, so three episodes, so 30 minutes total. I don't know if you've watched it yet, but it was cool. Nah. It, the first episode was just about kind of his life growing up in Russia and uh, his upbringing yeah. and the influence his parents had and brothers had on him. And it, it's, it's pretty cool, so I would – Recommend go watch it. Sportsnet tweeted it out. You can find it on EA Sports NHL, but I'll be copying that version because uh, I, I I play the fuck out of some EA Sports NHL. So last yeah, thing here, sweet. Capitals, baby. Uh, Alex Alexiev. So the cool thing about this whole COVID situation, I guess if you want to call it cool, but it's players can get loaned out and get to go play elsewhere, get some more development in it, development in. And so we sent Alexiev to the KHL. Uh, so it gives him, he's, he's, you know, he's one of our top prospects. So it gives him a chance to go play at a high level. Yeah, get some uh, – I mean, there's definitely some NHL-caliber guys over there, so he'll be playing with some high-level talent, getting some time just like in the NHL, and uh, that'll that'll help his development, sure. Just being on the ice, I mean, that's better than not being at home, right? Yeah, for sure, and it's a defenseman in our organization who might be finding himself fighting for a spot next year. He, he never, yeah, We don't know what the, all, this offseason is going to – bring us in terms well, of the trades that uh ab wants to happen in orlov out of here he definitely needs to step up right i know well speaking of that before we get to big rome is watching this vegas series dude and i tweeted it off our account the other day is that by far nate schmidt would be the best defenseman on this team if he was still here 
Yeah, that sucked so bad. I wish GMBM knew what he was doing taking Smitty because uh, we should have done whatever we could to protect him. Yeah, man. and that was a big Nate Dog guy when he was here too, man. I loved him when he was here. I was heartbroken to see him leave. But, yeah, just watching him play, dude, he is so good. Well, he's, he's he is gotten so better. fucking he wasn't, good, man. He wasn't the player he was Oh, no, yeah, he's definitely gotten a lot better. Oh, yeah. He is, he's lighting it up in Vegas. He looks great. And like I said, I think he'd by far be our, our top defenseman here. So with that being said, guys, we're not going to keep you too long. Let's kick it over to the Romar. All right, guys, we now welcome on a very special guest. Huntingtown native, played his high school there for St. Mary's Riken, then went on to play for the Loyola Greyhounds, eventually ending up with the Denver Outlaws where he won an MLL championship. And now a current midfielder or midi, as they call it in the sport for PLL's Atlas. Good buddy of ours growing up, Romar Dennis. Man, what is going on? How are you doing? What's up, boys? Thanks for having me. Um, I love I love just hearing Huntingtown, but uh, it's good to talk <laughs> to you guys again. Yeah, man, good to see you. Good to hear from you. It's been a while. First thing, we want to start with this. We see the shirt hanging up there on Kyle's wall. Myself and Camel bought one ourselves, so first bone to pick with you is, like, what's with the quality? We can, I know we're a new league, but we can't get a little better quality out of these shirts. um i mean i I just gotta i gotta play better i gotta get a real official jersey and i'm I'm stuck at the player t level so that that's on so the better you play the jersey like then becomes like the 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 nike material and that type of shit yeah adidas like dry fit like exactly our game quality so like uh, i might not or i just don't have enough clout for that yet maybe i just gotta you know get my posts up I don't know. Me and Campbell's biggest issue was watching you. It's like, I feel like you didn't get enough play time. We're like, all right, a couple times you guys were down a couple goals, and I feel like you're the you're the two-point specialist out there. Just get out yeah. there and just let it fucking fly. But it's like, all right, why is he not in yet? And we're yeah. just – obviously, we have we have bias. We're biased, but – Yeah. I mean, there's a short list of guys who think they get enough playing time in this league because it's so it's such dense competition and, and level of play. It's right. seven teams, and they're all stacked. There's All-Americans all across the board. So, yeah. the difference – this year is that I expected that. So I was like, I'm going to make a little bit more of the opportunities where last year I was like, all right, I'm going to get a bunch of runs. And I didn't, uh, here I knew, I knew that was going to be the case. So I, uh, was a little more opportunistic, I think. So let's kind of start with this and then we'll kind of get in your career from like a chronological standpoint. So how's the off season going? I believe you're out in California right now. You said, so how's the off season going? What are you, what are you working on? What are you doing right now? Yeah. Um, so as opposed to last year, uh, I had this long off season of like a lot of like lifting weights and bulking up. And then when the pandemic hit and quarantine, uh, we weren't advised not to go to gyms, especially leading up to the PLL bubble. So I had to make do with home workouts and barely any weight. So I think I was like, I lost a ton of weight. And uh, so right now my goal is to just get the, that strength and power back. So I'm just I'm back in the gym trying to kind of like as soon as I got back, I was just trying to build my base back up. Just beefing up. So is this your first off season out in California, or do you kind of hop around each off season and try to find something different to do? Um, yeah, this is my first one. Last, uh, I guess the off season leading up to it, I was just like, when I first moved out here, I was staying with my buddy Kyle, uh, Kyle Foot. I was staying on his couch, so I was just like bouncing around <laughs> for jobs, tried out for an NLL team. We had that PLL Japan trip, and there's like Thanksgiving, Christmas. So I was just like trying to figure out where I was going to live in California or like where it made sense for the job I was going to have. So uh, this is like, all right, I'm here. I know where I live. Time to like focus on the game a little bit. Can buy bed sheets and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. We're talking about training real quick. uh, I wanted to ask, do you do any special training for a two bomb shot? 
No, honestly, like even I barely shot leading up to this one. I just played a ton of wall ball, um, but I just play like really hard wall ball. And I guess my only difference is I do a lot of like wrist strength, probably similar to what dudes do for like a slap shot. But I was like, I think the key to a hard shot is just that hard wrist snap. And Man, uh, there's a couple training exercises you can do to get that wrist strength up, but we won't go into that. So yeah, it's kind of why we wanted to have you on. I mean, yeah, you're a, you're a good buddy of ours, grew up with us, had a good time with you growing up and everything, but also a lot of kids from around here that play hockey, play lacrosse in the off season. I mean, I know like pretty much the entire Landon hockey team is the entire lacrosse team there. And same with a lot of these prep schools and stuff around here. So let's just start at the beginning there, man. I mean, like we said, grew up in Huntingtown with us and then it's off to Riken. I mean, you obviously were good from a young age. We, we saw that firsthand. So talk about the, the process of going to Riken, you know, playing prep school lacrosse and all that. Yeah, um, I mean, so I went to Plum Point with all, all the good guys and uh, with my brother. And he, uh, my parents obviously wanted us to both go to the same high school. Mm-hmm. But I got recruited to Riken and he could have come as well. But he was just like, I, I got to go to Huntington with my boys. Save so he boys. stayed. And I'm glad he did because then I got to have the relationship with guys like you guys. So I went away an hour to Riken. But playing there, um, it was, it was cool because it, it felt like college a little bit that I was like kind of going away from home, even though it was only an hour and um, just kind of made me really focus on lacrosse there. And the WCAC is like, I think it's only gotten better, but it was just a pretty big step up in competition. I think from what Mac were to have, because Mac has like good players sprinkled in and out and WCAC just kind of has like Gonzaga and then got like the DeMathas, the Gonzaga, um, good councils. So it was, uh, that was a good place to kind of like weigh myself and see where I was as a high schooler playing against guys like that. And back then, like private schools played division one rules and public schools did not. So like recruiting, it made more sense to recruit players who played that quick whistle and no horns and stuff. And I think now it's like universal. Everyone plays it. But like back then it was like mm-hmm. private schools play those D1 rules. Right. So from like around that age, that high school age, you really, uh, I I could tell you started to notice that you had to make sacrifices to be a better player. You had to train and focus and you were a big YouTube guy. I know you would watch a lot of videos and you were self-taught. Do you still do that to this day? Oh, absolutely. There's uh, all those, those classic ones, like the, the Paul Rabel 2007, the Kyle Harrison 2005. I think I still watch like, they'll pop up once a week, but I used to watch them like a couple of times a day, every day. And, um, and it was kind of like, if I watched a video like that, or even if be like best of college across 2010, I'd watch that and go outside and just do it in my backyard. And I, I mean, I felt like I might as well have had a coach there telling me what to do. Like you just go see it then you go try and do it. And uh, kind of hypes you up to get out there and do it yeah. yourself. I mean, and then, and then I'd like to get really like hyped up in the moment before games, I'm like YouTubing like NFL highlights, NBA highlights. And, uh, I still do that now. Like I just like the energy and some plays in other sports. I just feel like gets me right for, so you'll just watch like a highlight tape to get psyched up and ready to go. Yeah. Like it'll literally be like hardest hits NFL. twenty <laughs> fifty. <laughs> I'll watch that. I'll be like, I'm ready to go. But the coolest part about that is, like like you said, you're watching all those Paul Rabel videos. And we're from Maryland. It's kind of the lacrosse hotbed. And now you're on his team. Yeah. Well, he's, well, he's technically, I guess, your league manager and your teammate. But Yeah. No, that that's what's crazy. And it's it, it goes further than that. Like, I, um, like obviously, I emulated him. I had his poster. Um, talked to him a lot and kind of got a relationship with him as this league unfolded. But then – 
when I moved out here, I started working for creative arts agency, CAA. And mm -hmm. then uh, like two weeks into it, I get a company wallet email. It's like, please welcome new client, Paul Rabel, like lacrosse. And it's this. And I was like, yo, no, I was like, no way. <laughs> Can this I be the like, intern on that case? <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is so full circle. It's insane. I was like, we're teammates, technically colleagues. Uh, and then, yeah, I was like, we're now like I text them all the time. Um, and uh, we're, we're friends now, and it's I still I, I never get too far away from it to think about that too. I was texting Kyle Harrison today as well, and I'm like, this is still really cool that I'm friends with you guys now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Kyle Harrison used to be the background on the computer back in the day. Yeah, dude, that dude. idolize that guy. <laughs> the goat, the goat. Yeah. So yeah, uh, like you said, played at Riken KP. I think you've got the awards written down. I mean, I myself coached at Riken. I don't think I've ever mentioned it on this podcast before of how I've won WCAC Coach of the Year, WCAC Champions, and definitely haven't mentioned that before on here. But yeah, go ahead and rattle some of that you, off, KP. You I know. Uh, yeah, ice hockey, baby. What? Yeah, we're some ballers. We won our first WCAC Championship, first MAPHL Championship, WCAC Coach of the Year. I mean, it's not a big deal or anything, but Dude, I definitely what? haven't brought it, definitely haven't brought it up before, but. It's wild, dude. That's that's huge. Well, the, here's the craziest thing, too. You talk about full circle. The guy, my my MVP that season, he won MAPHL Player of the Year. He was, like, my, by far the best player on the hockey team, the kid, Pete Behrens, and he was, like, pretty much the lacrosse team captain. Was like His lacrosse was his main sport. It wasn't even hockey. He was yeah. a stud. That's crazy, man. That's, that is full circle. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, I know in 2013, Romar, yourself, you had the player of the year for the WCAC. I did. And in 2012, you were an Under, Under, Under Armour All-American. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about full circle, I think uh, Paul Rabel himself was won the WC player of the year in 05. Uh, no, 04? Yeah, 2004. So it's like... Because huh. uh, he was... Not was he the math or what was he? Yeah, yeah. the math. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I was, I was honored. That was like kind of a, and back then I was, uh, not that I've won a ton of stuff, but it was always like kind of surprising. Cause like you just kind of have that little league mentality where you just like, go do what you're supposed to go do what you're supposed to do. And then like you get older and they start recognizing you for stuff like that. And you're just like, Oh damn, like that's, that's a cool thing to hang my hat on. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, I definitely appreciated that more after being in high school because at the time I was like, whatever. <laughs> now, how much would you say us hanging out with you at the pool shack next to the pool on weekends contributed to your success? <laughs> oh, it was huge, man. I mean, Come over to Birdo's house and be like, hey, Romar, get up here and maybe have a beer. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I don't know um yeah i mean dude, i hung out with you guys so much especially my brother and uh, i don't know what kyle got a stick and we started messing around like yeah dude, you sure. even got me in the lacrosse I, I ended up playing my senior year of lacrosse me and romar would be in the backyard just shooting around or whatever yeah you you were you were always on it you were always training always had a stick in hand yeah i mean you could probably add some of that to your success now in the later days always keeping a stick in hand playing wall ball shooting on a net like always always at it in some way yeah man i mean as you get older you appreciate that more especially as i've only lived in more city like urban areas just to have that yard there and be going out there and not even like a serious like root like workout written down but just to go out there and toss a couple it's like right you got the woods behind you in case you miss an a you don't gotta worry about much you can just go out there and let it rip for a bit 
Yep, yep. Now it's like a whole big ordeal. I got to go to a park. Got to get there early enough there not to be a lot of people. Got to bring my own net. Got to write down a right. workout to make the most out of like an hour or two hours. Right. So after that, it's off to Loyola. So I'm sure there's a couple schools that were interested in you trying to sign you this, that, and the other. What was what were some of the schools? What were the schools that you were kind of deciding between, and then what ultimately made you decide to choose Loyola? Yeah. So. Um, First of all, I think Huntingtown is uh, definitely like a small town vibe and then mm-hmm. Reich is pretty small as well. So I don't know if going to Ohio State or like UNC would be right for me. I think I'd get lost in that like 40,000 right. little city. So uh, I was like, I don't know. And my parents were the ones to point that out. My dad would be like, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so I was thinking of that and then I started thinking I really want my parents to come to every game. So I was like, if I go to Denver or Albany, like they're, they're definitely not making that trip every single time. So I was like, there's so many good schools in Maryland, Navy, which is kind of a way bigger, different decision, but you got Towson, Hopkins, Georgetown, UMBC, um, Mount St. Mary's is there, uh, just division one right in that area. And then even Virginia, you got UVA, I think BMI is there. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so, like, all these schools are, like, kind of right there. And I was, like, I could definitely look at these first because, um, like, nothing would be easier than in Maryland. And then then it came down to money, honestly. Like, some school – I think Hofstra offered me a half scholarship. I went to visit there. I really liked it, like the coach. I liked everything they had going on there. And I got, like, mild interest from, like, the Dukes, the UNC, Syracuse, Maryland. They were kind of, eh, like, we could use you. There'd definitely be space. Whereas the Rutgers, Lehigh, Loyola's, Towson's, those are the schools that are like, you could come play right now. Like, you'd be ready to go as a freshman. Come be the future of our program type deal. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, all right, if you want me that bad, then, like, you'd obviously throw more money. So Loyola offered me a full athletic, and it was only an hour and a half away. It was in Baltimore, and um, they were ranked – 21 in the country and I was like it's a top 25 school like this I could definitely compete for a spot so I commit and then I so I go to a scrimmage they scrimmage Maryland and they were bragging about not bragging but like they were holding their hat on the fact that they tied Notre Dame the year before they're like dude we're up and coming like we tied Notre Dame that fall then that spring they win the national championship and they only lost one game so I was, like, wow. I was so in like I committed and they just kind of finally climbed over that hump there working mm-hmm. for us. I'm like, damn, now I'm promised to come in here and help and play, but this is now a perennial powerhouse. Like, they just want it all. So now I'm coming in, and the program evolved right at the same time as I did. So it was it was like the stars really aligned there, man. I got really lucky. It was an awesome place. Yeah, KP, I'm surprised he was able to get that many offers after getting in a little bit of trouble in high school with a little plagiarism, I think it was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he did have an incident in high school, got in a little trouble with some plagiarism. But uh, I think I ended up hearing on a podcast with Paul Rabel that the uh, coach of Leola never found out about that. <laughs> I mean, I think there are much worse things than uh, <laughs> you know, fucking that can happen, right? Then I can turn it in dot com flag in my papers, right? But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's just a misuse of quotation marks, is what I'd like to call that. Yeah, it's simple enough. It's like, uh, Real quick, um, at this point in your career, like pro lacrosse isn't a huge thing. It's it's not a, a model that it is at this point. So when you got to Loyola, were you like, oh, this is it? Like, this is the highest of, of my lacrosse potential? So uh, me being a lab, 
Yeah, me being a lax rat, I watched a ton of pro, pro lacrosse even before it was a big deal. Like, I had no idea what they were making, but I assumed they were kind of doing that full time. If I saw someone on a magazine for Maverick or something, I'd be like, this dude's making like probably millions of dollars off this. Like, this is like, I thought of it like every other square. I had no idea that this dude was like a financial planner in Bethesda. I was just like, right. dude, he's a pro guy. athlete and so is Kobe. Yeah. So it's got to be the same thing, right? <laughs> right. And I don't see the difference. And uh, so I was thinking like, like that. And so I was like, this is cool. And like, anytime they'd get like on a magazine or a player would post with like, a real uh not a real another pro player in a, in a bigger league i think dude it's definitely it's there but um i definitely am short-sighted so when i got to Loyola, i was like this is it this is like the show and the final four is like the biggest bowl game you can get to um some of it so i was just like which to be fair i mean in a way it kind of was at that time because you remember the the final four in the cross every year is either like in annapolis or philly and they would just sell out that stadium for that entire weekend i mean we drive up all the time but then we still weren't really like you wouldn't really like watch the mll which i think was the only league at the time that was pro the coverage was just bad man it'll be yeah. like three hour broadcast the announcers are like talking about some deli that's near hopkins's campus and they're like <laughs> oh who scored it's oh his jersey doesn't have his name on it yet because he's a new guy but uh and then you're just like it's hard to stay engaged mll wise but for us, especially that final four, that, that game we get there, we get to stay in like a really nice hotel in Philly. We have like a police escort on our bus. We're like all in suits to Lincoln Financial and then there's 35,000 people. And I was like, dude, this is this is it. Like it's not going to get bigger than this. Uh, ESPN, uh, that was cool. That was uh, that's definitely what uh, we all dream about playing in a final four. Probably winning the whole thing is the bigger dream there, but mm-hmm. definitely grateful to, to even make it to a final four at all. Yeah, I want to go back to something you said a couple minutes ago. Is you wanted to go somewhere where your parents could come see the games. I mean, talk about your dad and mom real quick. I mean, they've always been a huge impact. They're two great people. I mean, Roberto Sr. was a high-level athlete himself. I mean, talk about the impact those two have had on you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as you guys know, he was drafted by the Yankees from Panama by uh, the same scout who found Mariana Rivera. It was the guy who found him. Mm-hmm. And uh, So he came over here. He was a center fielder, um, really fast, really strong arm um played triple a up in onietta new york and uh so he was hammering down baseball on me so like fourth grade and then i got bored i just i wasn't too into it i played for i don't know what the prince frederick team was called back then i think we all just got like the same t-shirt in different colors and i was purple so we had a colorado rockies hat is all i remember and uh <laughs> so i played baseball up until fourth grade um but his background in sports, like the training, he treated it the same way. Like he was like, you need to be running steps. You need to be doing like box jumps and all this crazy stuff as like a middle schooler. So his athletic background, his drive was definitely what put me there. And then the fact that him and my mom were so blunt, like they would, they were not that they were assholes, but I mean, they kind of were for sports. Mm-hmm. Like they, I, like dad i really want these cleats like these they're are blonde so i remember your mom would come downstairs and bitch at birdo in spanish we'd all be like oh he's in trouble <laughs> you'd be like yeah I, I really want these cleats they're so cool my dad would be yeah. like, i mean are these gonna make you good because you're not good i don't see why getting these cleats would make you good or my or i'd be super happy we just beat the dunkirk warriors and my mom would be like i mean you didn't score you didn't really help your team at all and then when they were just being completely honest i was like man all right like well, <laughs> dad look good play good yeah, I was like, I mean, I don't like that, so I'm going to have to change that. I'm going to have to start balling, but 
I was like, man, I, I don't, I don't they're very telling it how it is. Yeah, for sure. And to kind of go along the lines of that, not really family, but another guy that had a huge impact on your career and did so for a lot of guys that came from our area. I mean, Ryan Johnson, Ryan Billman, my brother. I mean, Lenny Casolino, talk about him a little bit. Lenny was, yeah, I mean, he is, he's always, I've always called him my unofficial grandpa, but he's, I mean, everything through lacrosse that's happened for me is all uh, kudos to him. He, his grandson was my best friend at Calverton, uh, Zach Windsor. So Zach was, they're a huge lacrosse family. So I just started playing along with them. But, so we started with like scoopers and pre pay in the gym, scooping up a tennis ball. That convinced us to come try out for the Calvert uh, North Blue Devils. And uh, Lenny was just, he was another one. He was just super intense and super competitive. In a time when youth league coaches started to be like, all right, guys, like, it's all about having fun here. Like, let's all be friends. He was like, if you're not going to win, like, just don't come to practice. He'd be like, I don't want bad players here. I want good players. Winning is fun. Like, you guys want to have fun win. So he was on it. And then his competitiveness kind of just rubbed off on me there. And um, he was always talking about college cross, like, showing us, like, the steel stand. Like, he'd come in, he'd show us, like, a magazine cover and be like, see how he's protecting his stick in this cover? Like, this is what you guys need to do. And we're, like, third graders. We're like, yeah, I got it. And uh, <laughs> he was just so intense. And I think that's oh, probably yeah. how a lot of Long Island, New York guys are. But that's just down there. He was like, I'm not letting off the gas pedal just because you guys are little kids. Like, this is how we play to win here. And a lot of kids quit. A lot of people didn't like it. I've heard he softened up in these days, but that personally, that took me to the next level for yeah, sure. I think, I think a lot of guys can say that Ryan, especially. Yeah. I remember I, cause I did, I, I think I played one year of lacrosse and it wasn't until like eighth grade. And I was on the team with like Brian Frank, Johnston, Griff and all those guys. And I came in and yep. he was like, what do you do? I was like, I play hockey. He's like, what do you do in there? I was like, I hit people. He's like, all right, if you ever get a chance to get on the field, as long as you don't suck, just hit the shit out of some people. And I was like, sure thing, man, you got it. <laughs> I'll do yeah. what I can. <laughs> Dude, yeah, he used to – and I got taller than him, like, seventh grade, so he used to grab my face mask and pull me down to yell at me, if I remember that. Uh, dude, he was – he would scream. He would grab my stick, throw it. He would – and afterwards, he'd be super nice. I'd, I was always at his house hanging out with Zach. We'd uh, – I remember he had these little TVs in the back of his car. We'd always be playing PS2 on the way to tournaments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, like, dude, he was, he was more than a coach to me, for sure. I, I owe him everything that lacrosse has given me. Sure. So kind of finishing up with your cross stuff here. I mean, your college career here. I mean, what were some of the best memories you had there at Loyola in terms of maybe it was been like, you know, getting Patriot League academic all honors or going far in the tournament or what was some kind of some of your best memories there? Yeah. If I was talking to a classroom right now, I'd be like, yeah, Patriot League academic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, that was huge. Cause I don't think I was a good high school student, but uh, to just like the fall, I love preseason on campus you get there in September and it's just like there's energy in the air and as a freshman I definitely I just got slaughtered by the workouts and class and stuff I I had a a tough go but once like you got your routine like I loved being with the boys doing two hours of practice hour of film before that hour and a half lift after that and then just living with them like we did everything together and it's nothing is that you're never going to be close to that many people ever again. Like that is, that's like the best sports environment I, I think I've ever been in is so just, just the locker room fall ball was, was one of my favorites. What about uh, those Lo- Loyola lacrosse fans heard they're the, the best in the uh, whole college. The lacrosse, dog huh? pound? I mean, dude, that's why I, that's why I came there. There's no football team. So like the team, the whole school, right. 
was so adamant about our game, especially Hopkins or Towson. So the stadium would, would get packed and uh, every like this, there, there used to be bars like right on campus and those used to be going after those games on Saturdays and your parents would stick around, like parents would come to like the bar with you. And uh, that was like one of my favorite things. It's just having, like my, a good time. Dad, <laughs> having my mom and dad at Zen West. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess you you think about it that way. I mean, you go to Loyola and the lacrosse team is pretty much, you're the big man on campus. Whereas like, if you would have gone there, like Maryland or Duke UNC, it's like, ah, they're going to go watch football or basketball, or maybe even a couple other things before they even think about like going to lacrosse games or something. Right. Yeah. It's, it's something like everyone does, especially when they're younger. Some kids as seniors want to say that they're too cool to come to the lacrosse games, but, <laughs> but then you got so many local alumni that come to you. It's like a, it's a, it's a really fun thing. And the school's so small, like it's not like there are fans; they're just all your friends who aren't on the team. <laughs> just like your boys there, and right. everyone in class, and it's a cool sports environment. So, kind of tying KP's question back in from earlier, it's like you where you thought that college across would kind of be the end of it, not knowing much of what the end of or professional cross lacrosse would hold. I mean, what was it like finishing college? Was there a decision of like, hey, the MLL has interest in me. I'm definitely going here or maybe thinking of work and then kind of take us through the experience of deciding to go to the MLL route, getting drafted and everything. Yeah. I mean, so especially now in today's age, kids there, they have their degrees, they have their internships. Like they know they go straight into their job. And Loyola is one of the places that sets you up to do that as well. But I didn't do any internships. Like I worked for my mom at kind of doing like janitor stuff for their cleaning company all summers. Uh, we're running some camps here and there. And then, so I had no plan. I was like, dude, senior year, we're going to go super far. And I was just going to ride that momentum into a cool job interview. Right. Like if you win a championship, <laughs> you're just flying high. Your energy's there. People are going to love to flex your ring in the interview. And she'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, right. It's not, is that's not how it works. And, uh, what are your so biggest skills? This ring. Yeah. We lose first round at Ohio state. And it was just like a punch in the face. It's like, which made the loss so much heavier. I was just like, dude, what do I do now? Like my life's over. I got two more weeks in this house. I'm definitely going to stay there in the, uh, in the lax house. And then, um, so it was like, we lost at Ohio state. Um, we had like a pri- private plane to the game, which is really cool, but it was just too depressing to enjoy. Cause we were just like, all right, we're done here. Your lacrosse year is over. So we rode that back to Baltimore. And I was like, whatever, man, I'm just done with lacrosse now. I don't even think about anything. So I just was hanging out, uh, Went to Ocean City with my brother for a while, and I was actually yeah. there. I was like at Secrets or on the way there when I get a call from Tony Seaman, the GM of the Denver Outlaws, and he's like, "Hey, how would you like to play in the in Major League Lacrosse?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, dude, that'd be awesome. I'd, I'd love that." And he's like, "All right, all right." Well, and I got like another call from their head coach, who does a great job kind of finding people. And so then I go back to my brother's place in Salisbury, and we throw the draft on and. Um, we wait, we wait. I think like 45 people get called fourth round comes around and they're like, then route select me from Loyola. Uh, and it was like player comparison, Paul Rabel for shooting and dodging capabilities. So okay. I, was like, oh, I was like, that's cool. I love Paul. And uh, that was it. I was like, well, damn, now it's go time. And that was in late May. So actually that was probably like Memorial day weekend. So that's probably why I was down there. We lost in the first round. And then, uh, so I was like, dang, I guess. And then at that, back then, Major League Lacrosse started, like, before May. So they were, like, in their season already. I get drafted. Huh. 
but even after that, there was like two weekends went by. So I started training, didn't get the call for one game, didn't get the call the next one. I get one, they're like, yo, come to Denver. So I'm ready to go. I fly out there and practice. I'm like, yeah, we like to have our rookies come out and practice, but like, you're not going to play this weekend. And I was like, Ooh. what is that? What is that about? So uh, it was cool though. Cause we we're in uh, mile high stadium. They yeah. That's what does your home field. That's awesome. Yeah, Broncos players were there, and I was like, dude, I'm just, like, kind of chomping at the bit there. And then I get caught up for my first game. We play the New York Lizards, so Pinnell uh, and, and uh, Rabel are on the team. And I have, like, a lefty on the run bomb, and that just kind of uh, solidified my spot there. But I was like, all right, I'm here. I'm on. I'm going to be playing every game now. <laughs> Prove yourself a little bit. All I right. want to back up a, a little, though. So there was no interest in, like, as soon as you were done – I guess because of NCAA restrictions and the MLL, they kind of don't reach out. There's no kind of interest until like the day you're drafted or was that something out of the normal for you? So they, they do their homework, especially Denver compared to anyone else. So they had like their war room of like looking at Mm -hmm. players who would fit, who would be a good match. So they knew who they're going with. And there had been like talks through the, through the grapevine, I remember one of my friends at Loyola is like related to the GM, and he was like, "Hey, man, my uncle's like interested," which is like some super behind the scenes kind of stuff, but like very right. casual. And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I would love to play. That'd be cool." And it was like a couple more things like that had happened, but no, like legit. Hey, email, look out for this in one month. We're gonna draft you. And then I, I was honestly figuring out. I was like, "What am I gonna do with my life after I graduated?" That I wasn't thinking about major league lacrosse. <laughs> I'd imagine, too, going back when you got that call on your way to Secrets Memorial Day weekend, for those of you that aren't really familiar, I'd imagine you get that call and he says, hey, it's the Outlaws GM. You probably have to put it on mute, get a water, take a deep breath. You're like, all right, collect myself real quick here. <laughs> and then go from no, there. No. I was I was settled down. I was good to talk. I was just uh, – maybe my surroundings were not adequate, but I I was in a good, good headspace to be talking. Uh, so uh... – <laughs> Well, it eventually worked out. So, I mean, you guys, what was it, 2017? You guys won the championship there. Yeah. Or was it 18? Uh, so, with that was when we we uh, we were the runner-ups. So, uh, gotcha. so okay. I mean, talk about that your time in Denver there. I mean, like you said, playing a Mile High Stadium, you eventually do win a championship one there, or championship one year there, and then you also get to go on like to a Broncos game at halftime and get like recognized and all that stuff. If I'm not wrong. Yeah. So 2017 was cool. I started playing a little bit, figuring out how I felt as a pro. The the game was at Dallas Cowboys, the star, that like big practice mm-hmm. facility. It's like a massive state championship football caliber stadium. And that's where we lost. So that stung a bit. And then the next year we were just coming in there, same, pretty much the entire core squad. Uh, I was playing a little better and we were stacked. Um, and we go all the way down. Championship game was in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And we won that. The, we had like a huge rented house on the beach after. You want to talk about comp? Uh, we had the celebration mm-hmm. ready to go. Uh, and um, the president of Broncos Business, uh, Mac Freeman, was down there with us, just like hyping us up, having a great time, uh, picking up the tabs. And uh, so he, he was, which is crazy because it's like that's late August. Like that's mini camp. That's two a days for the Broncos. But he like loved Lax so much. He was just there all weekend having a good time and um it was awesome man the, like we were all such close friends and we still are like we still have our 2018 champs group chat that gets going every mm-hmm. once and uh it, any it championship good. team is like that i feel yeah. like 
Yeah, it really is, dude. That's in uh, – so then, like, that was happening, I think, October. We got to come out for a Broncos game, and it was, like, a whole weekend. We had – it was, like, a suit and tie apparel kind of, and we get to Broncos Stadium, like, in a limo, and it's, like, decked out. Like, they have – the locker room's got, like, the same thing, but it's, like, special nameplates that are regular ones that have championships next to them. There's, like, this huge – like buffet in the locker room and the locker room's huge. And I was like, all right, this is cool. And from there, we took a huge elevator upstairs to like the players, players family room, which is like a massive suite, like right above the end zone, which is huge. And then there were tables. And then that was like a catered, really nice dinner with the trophy there. And it was all like orange and black lighting, like outlaws mm-hmm. decorated. It was so cool. And then like, all right, all right. Like we had this huge dinner, a lot of toasts, like everyone's feeling it go back down to the field and then on the field there's those little tall tables with the rings on them like literally like what they do for an nfl team and there's just like the nfl music playing on the jumbotron we're all like trying on our rings like taking pictures uh and i remember this specifically because you're supposed to get your championship rings a size bigger uh-huh. and I chris cliche had it like those on it's a perfect fit i'm like ah, mine's a little tight he's like oh you, you've never had one of these because he rocked us in the final four with like nine goals right. I, like, I was like i'm done put it on my pinky uh and then <laughs> so after that, we go inside there's another like really nice broncos room that's just got tables full bar and then the full championship games on and we're gonna and we're watching it and the whole staff's there all the trainers the equipment people the coaches the gm front office people and it was like from there to there to there and then from there we had like a rented bar but I remember because it was snowing in Denver and it was just, it was an awesome weekend, man. It was so cool. And after that was Sunday where we had the football game and that was a huge tailgate that we went to. And then we got to come in through like the back entrance and got to be on the sideline for the game. That's the sideline for the game. And we had a suite up top next to like the owner's one. So it was like, there you go. So yeah, it was probably a hell of a weekend there. Dude, it, it, they treated us just like a, like pro athletes, which is cool. Because I literally like left work in Baltimore on Friday and came to this, and I'm like, dude, and I'm like, where? I was like, this is where lacrosse needs to be at. But right. it, the wasn't there; just the outlaws were there. Like the outlaws were at this high just level, a step ahead of the rest of the league. And you can't yeah. really have that if you want to grow a league, where it's just like you got some teams struggling and falling behind. Yeah, we right. other teams have like a tent with no locker rooms and you'll play there the big hey guys just keep your game shorts on you can shower at the hotel after and then outlaws we have that <laughs> so i was like dude this doesn't make sense <laughs> but outlaws is first class man that was really fun weekend we got kp uh, i mean that that was sick but i mean i really want to dive into the the next adventure yeah let's do it career so the pll man so this is something that is a brand new kind of idea it's Paul Rabel, and so how does that? Because I mean, I, we've heard interviews with him. I mean, he's one, been on part of my take and everything a couple of times. And what I've heard from him is like, yeah, we've kind of, we just kind of came in and we took the best players and we said we want to start this new league. And what was your kind of first initial thought on it? The traveling tournament style, brand new league. I mean, did you have any doubt in leaving the MLL and trying this new thing out? Or well, I think you should back up and, and kind of tell the story a little bit. Wasn't didn't you get a, a text and then an email yeah. or something like that? Yeah, I, uh, I'm in Baltimore in Canton, and uh, I get a text from Kyle Harrison. He's like, what's a good email for you? And I send him my email. I get an email from Paul Rabel, and I'm like, cool. I'm like, what's that? Because uh, we had, like, him and I hadn't really talked before then, and then it was like, 
from Paul Rabel, Kyle Harrison, and Mike Rabel. It's like, hey, we have a great, great season this year, Roadmark. Congrats on the championship. We have a business venture we think you'd be interested in. But before we go further, you're going to have to sign an NDA. Like, tell my dad, I'm like, dude, what, what is this? Like, I heard whispers, like, he might be starting a league or something. But I was like, I had no idea. Because I know he does a ton of business stuff I had no idea about. So I was like, sure. Sign it. He comes back and like, yo, we're starting a new league. The same concept as the UFC, same, some of the same investors. Like, we have to blow this up. It's going to be – everyone gets equity in the league, so you have part ownership. And they're taking, like, his branding model and just giving that to everyone, his platform, his – like, the way he's had success, the non-endemic partners. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I make, like, 350 bucks a game in the MLL. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's got to be better than that. And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, pay is going to be is going to go up 500%, I think, on average. And I was like, say less. Sign I'm me in. up. <laughs> Sign me up. And uh, so that holds. And they're like – he also was like, you're on the first wave of players. So I think I got, like, a, a lot of equity compared to some of the other players just because I got in there early. And uh, on top of that, I was like, dude, I was like, this, this would be really cool. I was like, my two players whose YouTube videos used to grow up watching are starting this thing, like, everything they do is clean. Like they, they do it right. I've never seen them and been like, man, it looks kind of raggedy. It doesn't look legit. Like whether it's a camp, a sponsorship, they're launching equipment, everything they did was just top notch. So I was like, I, I trust these two dudes. And, um, so after that, I just like whispers along the league come around, like everyone signed it. The MLL is kind of hearing about it. They're like, Oh, like it's BS. Like, you know, you know how Paul is. He's just going to tell you whatever to sell you on it, but it's not going to, it's not even going to launch. It's not going to be a real thing. Like it's going to be like the XFL. Uh, it's a waste. Like we've been here for 20 years. And I'm like, yeah, the MLL has been here for 20 years, but they haven't even adjusted for inflation. Like the, the sal- the rookie salary in 1999 was 6,000 bucks. And in 2018, it was 6,000 bucks. I was like, so it's <laughs> not how that works. <laughs> I was like, if it went up by at least 2% a year, it'd be at 10 grand. I was like, you're uh-huh. literally paying, one two percent less each year i was like you're like what you can't everyone else who's been around for 20 years is going to have some sort of improvement in something in like the broadcast rights and the player pay and like a, maybe a union maybe health benefits like nothing so i was like really they're kind of getting free labor here like the owners get to barely pay play uh pay the players anything and you know kids are going to show up because that's the only option and after that season ended that was the year we won it was uh, so looking back to that, we were in Charlotte, uh, Charleston, everyone's talking about it. Like, what are you going to do next year or whatever? And some guys like, dude, I'm staying like, this is awesome. These are my boys. Denver's treated as well. And I'm like, they have, but we don't know what else is out there. Like we, we don't even know. Like we've never played on like national television at the pro level. Like we don't know what this pay could be like or what that might entail. So I was like, dude, I think I'm going to do it. And like right there, you see, it's kind of start to split up. And, um, so like after that, the leaks just unfolding like quietly on social media, like you see the handle get made with no posts and people are like, Oh, what is this? What, what is this like little secret page? And it's like on and on. And, uh, but knowing Kyle Harrison, so he would just like drop me some stuff that wasn't like widely known. So big, like, right. Oh dude, big, Oh Drew Brees just invested like stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, this is so legit already. Like people are, <laughs> people are getting in on this and on the other on the outside world, people are like, oh, what? They have an Instagram page now? Like, it's legit. And uh, and then, um, I mean, the ML really had no idea what they were being hit with. Mm-hmm. Then, it, boom, here are the salaries. Here's the model. 
And, uh, and it actually helped the MLL players because then the MLL had to raise their salaries. So or else they're going to lose everyone. Yeah, even they didn't come close, really, but they Which it is went why they've lost everyone. <laughs> yeah, but it went up. So, like, the players who stayed were like, they should even be grateful for the PLL because it's like now there was some competition uh, and, they had to, and they had to get better to even compete. And uh, right. so from then on, like, it unfolded. And that just being behind the scenes and seeing how sports business works and then, like, rounding up the investors, getting the broadcast deals, getting partnerships with things like – Gatorade, Adidas, how those unfolded, uh, just was like, dude, that's my stuff. I love sports. Like, I, I need yeah. to work in sports. So that persuaded me to leave kind of like my financial analyst job in Baltimore. And I was like, dude, where's all this sports media cool stuff happening in LA? So I talked to Paul and Mike Rabel a lot and um, Kyle Harrison as well. And they had a pretty big network and I kind of leaned on them for that. And uh, that kind of just led me here. I was like, dude, I, I think I need to be in LA if I want to do more cool sports stuff so mm-hmm. i just kind of that like literally the pll already was just changing my life around like i'm doing a different career path like i'm moving out of maryland for once like i was just like well you don't have to worry about like you said you're making 350 bucks a game and as soon as the season's over you're like shit dude i gotta like go back to my like desk job for however many yeah. months <laughs> right seriously so i was just like dude this is this, this is, is not how i envisioned being a pro athlete like holy shit dude right like, right yeah, and it's, it's crazy because you think of, like, all the biggest legends in the league. That's what they made, too. Like, they, yeah. their sponsorship deals were huge and, like, a lot more than that and livable. So, like, that counted it. But, like, their legit salary from their MLL team was, like, in that ballpark range. Yeah. So, crazy. You mentioned Drew Brees, Brees being an investor. Who are some other kind of – who are some of the coolest, like, big-name guys you've got the Met through the PLL and stuff like that? Uh, met, I haven't, uh, I'm not too involved there, but I haven't met too many of them, but a lot of the cool names are just, um, just people who are in high ranking things other than sports. Like if you saw their board, uh, it was the CEO of Google ventures. So they Mm -hmm. do all, they had a huge stake in like Uber, Yelp, like those Facebook, those startups that are like the marquee, like blue chip startups, then the head of sports for creative artist agency mike levine he obviously does work with like all those big names ta clients like d wade aaron Rodgers. lebron was there for most of his career before clutch Uh, and then on top of that like they have like wafa soccer's broadcasting rights ca hockey is like the biggest hockey agency they have all those guys um and uh so it's like his sports background i'm like this guy's in here like that's that's a pretty big deal and then on top of that we have Eric Nadini from Barstool is also on the board. Yeah. Ex-manager uh, of Madison Square Garden or CEO of Madison Square Garden was there. The ex-CEO of Yes Network, the Yankees sports. Mm. It was uh, all this legit sports stuff. And I was like, dude, that's just that just raised what lacrosse is about because who was holding the MLL accountable? Like no one. They just – no one knew what was going on. Some people right. kind of – I'm like, if these big-time people are here, then – it's got to be, and those are all investors as well. And it's like that—that that just raised the stakes so much. Kind of helps you out with your career too. Makes you excited for that next step. Yeah. When you get thrown on that uh, that Chrome team. How, how did that plan out? Did you have any input of which which kind of team or who you wanted to play with or anything? No. So the teams were formed based on uh, college teammates, pro teammates. Hmm. Uh, and then like age. So we didn't have like ton of rookies. 
no older guys oh, to be trying to make the balance. So every team was like kind of like an exact MLL team moved over, like the Ohio Machine, Archers. Uh, Bayhawks were kind of like chaos a little bit. Because you had like Miles Deemer, Mark Lucini, some of those, Josh Byrne. So that was there. Uh, what was it? The Rattlers was the Chrome. It was that entire team of like, if you, they either went to Duke or they played for the Rattlers. That was that whole team there. Right. And then my only connection there was Westberg, who I played with in Denver, and he got traded like three games in. <laughs> so like I had no real like connection Nothing there. there. That's the ones I made with like Connor Farrell, who's a good friend, and Chris Sabia, and uh, Simon Mathias, Max Tuttle, the other young guys in the squad. We, we got close. But um, no, I had zero input there. <laughs> all your uh, all your old teammates came over year two, right? Yeah, uh, that's what I was saying. <laughs> that kind of sucked. I was like, you know, if we all came over at the same time, we'd have our own team and we could, we could do that whole thing again. But they're like, <laughs> right. kind of skeptical and they came over late. I was like, all right, cool. But <laughs> um, no, um, a good part of it, that's why you don't burn bridges. Like um, you don't yeah, right. play like a scumbag and like are super hostile to everyone at the bar mm-hmm. after the game. Because you never know, especially in our sport, how often you get traded around. So it's sure. pretty easy people to kind of jump into a new team and get to know people there yeah i mean like we mentioned i like how the league is this whole like tournament styled like you take everybody to one city expose the entire game and all the players to that city for an entire weekend this that and the other but do you i mean we just saw the brand new team come in with the water dogs i would imagine there's probably still talks of more expansion you think if this league keeps expanding and growing teams that it might eventually have to become city-based or you can keep up with that kind of tournament style model yeah, I think that's probably the goal. Like, we, we can't have, like, a 30-team league. 30 traveling circus around just, like, 40 <laughs> teams in a goddamn like, thing. That would, that would be counterproductive to trying to fix the, like, lax bro stigma because you'd have 300 dudes running through Fed Hill like, on, <laughs> on the weekend. So, it's like, dude, we got we to, gotta, we gotta, like, spread this out. But uh, it's, it's definitely going to hopefully be in cities and – that was another cool thing to kind of understand how team names and fan bases formed like without that, because it's very easy to think of like the Washington Capitals or like the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New England Patriots, like names that sound that have to do with like the location. And it made you think, well, think on a bigger picture, Premier League soccer, huge U S fan base. I don't think that many people here have been to Manchester or a lot of but they have their favorite teams just based on team colors, team name, mm-hmm. the favorite players and like their backstory. So the PLL did that. And then on top of that, you have UFC, you have NASCAR, like those, these guys aren't tied to locations, but we all have our favorite fighters. People have their mm-hmm. favorite. And at world surf league, same thing. And it's like, what makes you a fan is kind of knowing people's backstory and them putting themselves out there. So they give us all these resources to like, produce content on our own to kind of build fan base on social media and um they they just like really promote each player so they're trying to like this is what this guy's about like him or hate him and yeah i like that a lot because i've seen that from the the beginning where paul was really focused on like the best way to grow the game is through content and social media so do whatever you can go on podcasts do videos start social media do this that and the other which i think is probably one of the coolest things that you guys do yeah, I mean, it, it, I think he said, he had a quote where he said, baseball blew up on radio, NFL blew up, blew up on TV. And it's like, we can 
we're the new age sport. I guess we are the oldest sport in the continental US. Digital media, baby. Digital media is going to be our, our big vehicle for mainstream media. Sure. KP? Sport, sport of the future, man. <laughs> yeah, fast game on two feet. Right. Um, so I, I kind of want to jump in after your uh, your first season there with the at, with the Chrome. You uh, you get the so the Water Dogs. You had the expansion draft. You kind of got I don't know. You didn't get any looks there. Did did they call you? Did they reach out during that experience or that time? No. So the the season ended. And I, was, I was pissed at the way that went down. My personal performance, our team performance. Pretty much throughout the whole season, I thought, all right, next game, I'm going to start playing a lot. I'm going to play well. We're going to start winning. All right, next game. Halfway through the season, all right, I was like, all right, we're going to completely turn around this next half. Next game, I'm like, all right, we, we could win two here and still make the playoffs. I'm like, all right, if this team loses and we win by this many, we'd still be in. And then we're officially out. I'm like, damn. Just like that, it was over. Uh, super hopeful the whole time, but it like, didn't work out. And then I was like, wait, now I'm just mad. Like, I didn't get that much of an opportunity. Like, I, I did a lot of preparation. We'll see how this plays. Like, I think I'm, I'm valuable to the team here, especially youth-wise. Uh, you know, some of our players, a lot of our players are, like, older. So, they're not, they're not going to play forever. And uh, so, I was like, there's some value there. We get a new coach, and I'm left off the protected roster. So, I was like, all right, well, I guess I guess there is no value there. Uh, and then, so, the Water Dogs team around, I'm like, all right, maybe they'll take me for sure. Uh, then, Andy Copa didn't pick me up either. So, I was like, all right. But, all right, that's fine. I guess I'm not going to play here anyway. I was like, you know what? I don't know. I, I don't know what value you see in me here. Um, maybe not. And then um, I think I had heard at that point that they were kind of looking to trade me. Someone mentioned that to me. I forget who. And I was like, wow, all right. Uh, and then I get a call from one of the guys on the board who is uh, Seth Tierney. calls me and is like, hey, Romar, I just want to ask what you thought about the trade. And I was like, what trade? He's like, oh, uh, I thought, yeah, your coach would have called you by now, but uh, you got traded to the analyst. And I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> dude, that's all right. That makes sense. Um, that's I was like, that's great. Like, you like it? He's like, are you happy with that? Like, is that cool with the trade? Because I guess those guys have the power to like veto a trade. If I were to be like, I refuse to play for these Atlas guys or something like that. And I was like, yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, next thing you know. Um, Coach Rubier calls me and he's like, we're super excited to have you on the Atlas. Um, then the Chrome coach calls me and he's like, hey, uh, you've been traded. Good luck. Super short. <laughs> and I was like, all right. Um, and that was that. that was, that's how that kind of trade played out. <laughs> Love it. It's like, yeah, Paul plays on that team. He runs the league. We get the nicer buses. Yeah, yeah I'm down. <laughs> yeah, that's well. And I had just done Paul's podcast the week before and on there. He was like, right. Like, what are you thinking team-wise? I was like, I don't know. He's like, have you ever thought of taking destiny into your own hands? Like, maybe asking some coaches? And I was like, no, I haven't thought of that. He's like, just putting that out there. Next thing you know, I'm on the Atlas. And I was like, ah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Love it. So, kind of want to switch gears a bit here. What makes, I think, hockey and lacrosse very similar, especially in today's age and what they've always been, is that they're predominantly white sports. And if you can, if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're seeing uh, the social media post, Romar, African-American kid, one of kind of few, I mean, there's starting to be more in the NHL, there's starting to be more in lacrosse, but what is the PLL and just lacrosse in general doing as a whole to kind of grow its 
diversity, grow its inclusion? Because I know you're very vocal on social media about it, and you know, especially in today's mess of a political climate and whatnot. It's so what what all what all are you doing? Because I know you've done some stuff with like the Compton Lacrosse Club. What are all you guys doing uh, to kind of help yeah. with that? Um, I mean, just the start of that, we kind of have like the NFL is a players coalition, the MLB has a players alliance, hockey has hockey diversity alliance, MLS has uh, I think black players for change. And we're like, well, why don't we form one of those? We put one of those together and we're like the difference in lacrosse is that all of us are like normal dudes. Like we went to school with our friends. Like a lot of us have jobs. Like we weren't like, all right, you, they didn't know straight from high school that you were going to be a millionaire, right? Like you're going to be, right. you're going to go on sneaker. It's like, we're like, very normal dudes and all of us have degrees from four-year colleges and some of us are like harvard hopkins duke so i was like i think we're a pretty educated group so i was like why don't we just start kind of voicing what our experiences is to this demographic which is like suburban and white and uh so we're just like i mean listen it's like obviously there's some shortcomings from being one out of 45 people mm-hmm. who is uh not white on a team so we started sharing our experiences there and um, I think I think it's been really valuable for a lot of the lacrosse community coming from us or even people of all races, but people who just aren't white and what it's like to be like that in a locker room. Um, and I've had tons of good experiences, barely any bad ones. And uh, but um, yeah, it's it's been cool. I think being what I am, being like black Latino, has just made me mm-hmm. super educated and well versed on the topic because I just had questions from an early age and like both my parents look different from each other. Like they speak mm-hmm. a different language. We live in Southern Maryland, not a lot of Latinos in Southern <laughs> Maryland. And it's just, um, I just was ready for all this talk basically because I, I've just been kind yeah, of prepared for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure you've had situations where, you know, something may have happened to you even starting at Calvert lacrosse club against another team. Cause like you said, Southern Maryland, where it's kind of like, yeah, not, it's all a lot of white kids playing lacrosse and that's how it is with, you know, hockey too. And then even growing up, maybe you've had some experiences through college. May, hopefully not because you would think college kids would know better, but I mean, how have you kind of taken all those experiences? I mean, you kind of just mentioned it, but to like, yeah. How do you go and instill it in the kids now when you are working with like the Compton lacrosse club or something, some type of organization like that? Yeah. I mean, my biggest message, like I got asked this the other day when I talked to a school is that, they're like, well, what do we do? What do we do now? And I was like, your first course of action before you think of signing any petition or reading any book should be when you hear racism, just stop it in its tracks. Because I'm like, there's plenty of times in high school and younger where I heard a slur or something. And obviously I was offended, but a ton of people heard it and no one said anything. So it's yeah. like, as kids now in this sport, what you need to do is stop it in its track. Call the kid out. Be like, you can't, you're not friends with us. You're going to keep talking like that. Like that's racist. That, and it's like, stop it in its tracks whether it offends you or not stick up for people and um and that goes for everything whether it's gender race class social class money and it's like that makes it more welcoming to people because it, it really sucks when you go and you pick someone from outside of the community go and play hockey or lacrosse and the kid was like man i just did not feel comfortable there and i have to stop playing mm-hmm. it's like man this kid could have been great great player and great friend and like now he gets he's gonna miss out on all the good stuff that this sport has done for us and uh, so that's like my big message there. And then with Compton Lacrosse, which is just uh, a leg of Harlem Lacrosse, which is uh, they go to inner cities and they go to these at-risk kids who are at risk of kind of failing out or uh, or worse. And they teach them 
how to play lacrosse and they do that through tutors after school and then some club travel lacrosse and what that does is the sports they just provide so much in terms of leadership and friends and making sacrifices how to prioritize stuff and figure out how to be a student athlete and all that works well and then specifically lacrosse is just since the college lacrosse is the show you have to get to college to get to college you have to take care of your grades in high school so it's like forcing these kids to get better grades and do well in school and stay out of trouble so that they go can go play in the show can go play right. college. and it might be that to them but through all that they get a degree they get a better job and it's like I was like, this, that's perfect. I mean, it's kind of what lacrosse did for me. So um, just, I love having uh, a similar message and getting to share that with the kids and kind of being an example of what this sport can do for you. Yeah. And I think making it as accessible as possible is a big thing too, because, you know, you you can think of people, I mean, any kid can go to a basketball court and shoot some hoops or go get a football. And whereas, well, hockey, especially like a kid can't just go to the rink and buy like $400 pair of skates and a shit ton of sticks and that type of stuff. But like lacrosse, even while it may not be as expensive, you still got to get the helmet, you got to get the pads, the gloves. It's a lot more that goes into it. So it's a lot of helping, I guess, these communities. And like you said, going into that risk at risk type of stuff and like providing equipment and this type of the other training sessions, anything. Cause once they, they're not going to think to go out and get a lacrosse stick, but it's once you put a lacrosse stick in somebody's hand, like, oh shit, this is fun. Yeah. I can just zip this ball around right now and have a little yeah. fun with them. I keep going. Yeah, and it's yeah, hockey and lacrosse are both expensive. And what it is though is, it's like a lot of people don't break who do play lacrosse and hockey aren't breaking the bank to do that. So like, mm-hmm. we all if we have a stick, we have a ton of sticks. Like, do we need all these mm-hmm. sticks? So like, just giving the hand me downs. I mean, I started playing on hand me downs for my brother mm-hmm. and him grading of people at like hotbeds camp and stuff and getting mm-hmm. some sticks. And uh, so it's like, why don't we share not only the sticks, the cleats, the helmets, but like, then, hey, what I learned at this prep school, I can give to these kids for free because they're not going to all go to this prep school. So it's like sharing the resources is what this is built on here. And then some people, and then lacrosse's network is just unreal. Like some of the people who are in higher places with a ton of money played lacrosse and they want to give back and they believe in the mission. So it's like, those leagues are connecting those kids with those kind of people. And it's, it's awesome, man. All through the sport. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Love to see what you're doing with it on social media and everything too. So KP, any last questions for him? Um, yeah, just touching on that lacrosse in a whole is kind of changing the stigma of lacrosse from going from like the trust fund kid to being more for everybody. And, and that's awesome. I love seeing yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I think the median household income for lacrosse is a hundred thousand dollars just significantly higher than I think the median high school income of like an average American. So like in a lot of places, the the stigma does make sense. And I just wanted to go about and say like, yeah, those kids play, but like that's not every single kid for sure. Like that definitely mm-hmm. doesn't describe myself and a ton of my friends I met at Loyola and, and at Riken and in the pros. So it's like, you don't have to be that to play this. And, um, and if anything, like those kids, in that in that demographic need to meet kids who aren't like that it's like we're all in a bubble of some sort socially and the more diversity i think is the better for sure for sure love it well romar we appreciate you coming on man we could talk to you for hours buddy uh we love what love seeing what you're doing hopefully pll can get back to a more so of a get actually can actually travel next year get out of a bubble so you can hit dc again and we can pop up and see a game and everything 
for sure. And it, when that happens, hit me up. I got tickets for you. Oh, hell yeah. And then, like I said, up your game a little bit so we can get these higher quality shirts. Just don't get traded so we don't have to keep buying them from different teams. We're going to have like fucking six Romar shirts if you keep getting tossed around. It's like, all right, play good, but not good enough to get traded to another team. So. All right, thanks again to Romar Dennis for coming on. Awesome interview with him, an hour long. I'm sure a lot of you will enjoy that, those of you are and did enjoy that, because I know a lot of kids that do play hockey do play lacrosse. And KP, you know, that's, that's our guy, man. Grew up with him, grew up with him and Birdo, good friends of ours. And, yeah, awesome to talk to him, awesome to see how well he's doing. Yeah, he was, like, one of the first kids that I noticed that really was – he had a path, and he was serious about his sport and really trained hard, took it serious, and it, it proved well for him. Look where he's at now. But the part when he was like, yeah, I, when we were talking about Lenny, he was like, yeah, I got taller than Lenny in seventh grade. He's like, motherfucker, you got taller than everybody in seventh grade. What do you mean? <laughs> you were taller than everybody. You got massive. He got so big so quick. But, yeah. So thanks again to Romar, man. Like I said, awesome interview. A little change of pace from the hockey stuff, and it was, it was fun. So let's, let's end the episode with this. KP, conference finals. Both teams are at a game, a game in. The Islanders down one nothing to Tampa. We'll start in the East. Tampa just absolutely blew out New York in the first game. But let's get your quick reactions on this series and what your prediction is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to be a good series. I think both teams are playing at a very high level. Their top guys are playing well. Uh, Tampa is without Stamkos, but I mean, after game one, it didn't show that they were missing that guy. So, um, I'm, if you want, you want my prediction now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So my, I'm going to go with before game one, I had the Islanders in seven. Okay. What do you got now? I'm taking the Isles and even after game one, I think Barry Trotz, it's just one game. He's flip. He's been flip-flopping with the goalies uh, in the last series. So. He's going to come back uh, with a good strategy for game two, and I think the Islanders are going to be all right. Don't disagree with that. Yeah, I think the, Island, or the Islanders just got straight up exposed in game one. I think Tampa's that good of a team. Before this game, I probably would have said Tampa in six. I, probably, I think I might still go Tampa in six. Dude. I think they're just that much better. I think Barry Trotz's luck runs out, and the Bolts go on to the Stanley Cup final for, for the first time. So – like we said, quick predictions here since we know this has been a long enough episode. So let's go to the West. Dallas takes a one-game goal, one game lead. They score early in game one, and that's all we saw. So who do you have winning this one? Yeah, so I got Vegas in this one. I think Vegas is playing well. I know you're a Dallas guy, but I think Vegas is playing well, and I think Flurry and Robin Leonard are going to lead, lead this team to the Stanley Cup Finals for sure. That was a great game one, and I think that's how this series is going to be. Not a lot of goals, a lot of a lot of uh, defense, good defensive plays. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think the the tandem like of hockey. Flurry and Leonard is just too fucking good for Dallas to score on stop. Doesn't matter. Dallas, they like I said, they have played well. They kind of blew that three one series lead. Got back into it late. Got a hat, got an overtime goal to advance. But I think Vegas is too good, too deep, too fast, too strong. And I think they're going to go in. And we're going to have a Tampa Bay Vegas Stanley Cup. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, but I don't know, because Dallas, Dallas is heating up, too. And how about – we got to talk about Joe P, man. That Joey guy's P really fucking turned it Their up for the Their depth scoring is unreal. Out. Yeah, and he's a leader. He's a leader for that guy. He's being a huge net presence in front. I mean, he's had some amazing tip-ins this playoffs. I think the issue with Dallas, too, that I think they kind of struggled when they rushed, I think, Ben Bishop back a little early. They thought he was good enough to try to win the series with them when they should have just kept riding their horse in Kudobin. But 
I think they're going to keep riding that. I don't think they're going to put Bishop in anymore. And I think, yeah, but they're good. They got depth scoring. Everybody's playing well, but I just don't see Vegas getting beat. And I think, like you said, I think we're going to have a uh, Vegas and Tampa Bay Stanley Cup final. Yeah, but um, I don't know if I said this, but I think it's going to be in seven games as well. I could see that. I could. I could see that. I could see that. I feel like I could see the West going seven. I mean, I don't think it's going to be any lopsided either way. We'll see. I guess, especially in these, I think Vegas and Dallas is a guaranteed game seven. You never know what this. Uh, uh, t- Do you think Tampa I, can steamroll the Islanders? They might. I mean, they they haven't One showed game. me otherwise. They haven't showed me otherwise yet. Right. <clears throat> and with Tampa too, they haven't struggled in the playoffs at all. Like Philly kind of struggled with Montreal. We played like shit, obviously. But Tampa's just been five. Five games, five games. Five right. games. They're just in and out of each series. So, I, and the Islanders, they could be tired, man, because they're playing. They're playing up. A tough brand of hockey. Yeah, they're playing a very tough brand of hockey. But like we said, we'll keep it quick. That's all I've got. KP, awesome episode. Everybody have a great week. And uh, what do you got? Uh, nah, that's it, man. Looking forward to these conference finals. Some good fucking hockey. Getting into the winter months. So uh, get out there and play yourself. Let's do it. Peace out. Peace.